Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. Welcome to the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my co-host, the bearded one, Brock Landis. Brock, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing as good as you can be doing uh, in the midst of social injustice and police brutality and and the protesting going on. So you want to keep those issues at the forefront. Uh, But nonetheless, Philadelphia basketball made headlines today. Plenty of news in Austin. Uh, your first gig as an NBA insider is, uh, is is happening tonight. How do you feel? You feel any differently? It was, viewers, what happened? It was actually my, my my second my second story that I that I that I've nailed. Yeah, it was definitely first was Nash, uh, right. First was Nash. Second okay. one was, was was this. I've had a couple small things in between, but uh, it felt good to 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 to, to nail another one. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's cool. But enough about me. Um, we do have uh, we, we we do have. Obviously, there's a reason for this podcast in the middle of the week when we usually go weekend or, or, or you know, the in, in, in the early stages of the week. Sixers make a move. They couple of come out of the darkness to hire, or I guess we should say in the closing stages of hiring, Daryl Morey or Morey. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, it's, listen, I, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I, I, I've let you say Daryl Morey for three straight weeks, but now that he's going to be a member of the 76ers organization, we got to get that down pat. It's Daryl Morey, idiot. <laughs> how do you get Morey? Listen, listen. I, I got the hoagie mouth in me. Sometimes it's Morey, and it's Morey. Someone told me today, they're like, it's Morey. I don't, I don't know why he keep calling him Moray. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Sorry. Yeah, I haven't let um, that slide, but but we can't anymore if, if he's going to yeah. uh, conclude yeah. a five-year deal with Philadelphia. So, so, so someone uh, someone um, from, from like the Sixers PR with, or uh, Harris Blizzard PR was like, by the way, it's pronounced Mori. And I was like, oh, yeah. sorry about that. Um, but yeah, they, 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 they bring in Maury, Um And to be honest, I mean, I, I didn't really have like real sourcing on this. I just had this this, this feeling that they worked they worked real fast on the uh, on on the other one on, on the the Doc Rivers uh, okay. signing, and they and things just kind of got really quiet. And I felt like um, it was almost too quiet for there to not be like something going on behind the scenes, and. Usually with the Sixers, it's you know out right out the bat that they are or they aren't interested. So the fact that the fact that 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 they uh, that they weren't talking about it, so I had my eye on it, and then I thought some things made sense there. Um, I, I know Crossing Broad, shout out to Crossing Broad, of course. Um, they had like, some sort of anonymous mail m- mailing their tipster that said, um, like Maury hired. Doc Rivers for the Sixers, and that he's going to come in. To, he's going to be coming to Houston. So, and, and that and that 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 tipster has been accurate for a couple of different things with them. So, interested to see who that is. Um, but that you know, it does make sense. I I, I knew I, I knew that he wasn't going to leave that job unless it was something that was at least as good as as, as what Houston was giving him. So people were wondering, like, what's the money going to look like? 
what's the the structure going to look like? He wasn't leaving that job unless it was for the president of basketball operations or GM of of the Sixers. And he, and I, I, I'm sure he wanted like full reign, full power. I, I, I don't I don't care what, how they word what they say. I I have a strong belief it's going to be that he's basically running the show. Um, and he was going to want a multi year deal, which he got five years. It sounds like. Um, and it wouldn't even surprise me. I said this on on party on broad, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of ownership stake involved in this too. Cause I, I, I had the feeling that it was going to be some sort of thing where it's like a, a, a godfather offer, something that he wasn't going to get anywhere and something that was good enough to entice him to leave Houston. And I think there are, are economic theories as to why he left Houston um, that are outside of the basketball, but I think he had a pretty good gig there. He definitely did. And it was a 13 year tenure, which was really fruitful. I mean, if you look at, uh, some of the things he's done in Houston, they have the second highest win percentage in all of basketball since 2007. Um, Maury staged 77 trades, which is the second most in the past decade plus. Uh, they've had 77 10, trades, 77 trades. That's right. <laughs> what? They, he's playing my GM on NBA 2K. They've got 10 playoff appearances since 2007, which is tied for the third most in the NBA. And they also have the longest active playoff streak in the NBA. So he had a fantastic tenure in Houston, but I was reading a ringer article today about Maury signing with the Sixers. And apparently he constantly let ownership know that this job in Houston wouldn't be a mainstay. He eventually wanted to return to the East coast and now he's back, but say what you want about Philadelphia and their core. They've got to be doing something right. If it's as popular of a destination for coaches and managerial positions as it is right now. So you've had to endure Brett Brown for the past seven seasons. And if you followed anything with Philadelphia, historically, the decisions that have made in the front office uh, haven't been done by just one person. Um, it's really been a couple of guys behind the scenes. There's maybe been conflicting opinions. And there's really just been a lot of turmoil and a lot of distress. Sure. Uh, say what you want about the organization and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But the fact that a Hall of Fame caliber coach, probably going to the Hall of Fame and Doc Rivers, Wants to coach here. He's bringing all of these brilliant assistants onto his staff that also want to coach here. And you have Daryl Morey, who, if you ask me, uh, there really isn't anybody that can do their job better than he does. Uh, if you talk about proficiency and doing your job as well as you can, there's not many better in all of sports than Morey. Uh, so this is a brilliant five for Philadelphia. It's another one where he kind of just fell into their lap. But I think the perfect way to summarize it is, uh, regardless of what direction you're taking your organization in, if a guy as good as Maury hits the open market and you have an opportunity to sign him, you seize that opportunity. Philadelphia did that, and their ownership has nailed this offseason. Uh, whatever you want to call this offseason, we don't know if it's going to be a month, three months, if the players are going to start back up in December on the 22nd, but uh, Philadelphia has done a fantastic job in terms of filling holes in the front office. Austin, my favorite thing about this, though, is that yeah. – you can look to Maury and, and see what he's done in terms of revolutionizing basketball analytics and three-point shooting and small ball. My favorite thing about this is that it seems like Philadelphia is taking a collaborative effort. David Aldridge tweeted that Elton Brand and Maury are going to be a one-two punch, hopefully. Of course, Maury is going to be the number one in that equation. He's president of basketball operations. But if you look at what this team is doing with their front office, they're not really leaving any margin for error. Uh, you're not going to have conflicting opinions. You're not going to have different people leaking different stuff to different sources. You're not going to have guys confused on who to draft or who to scout. It's a collaborative effort. And that's what I really like about this. So you're going to have a guy like Doc Rivers, who's going to bring toughness, who, who's going to hold guys accountable, who's going to instill these, these mentalities you need to win into the players in the court. But also you have a former general manager and now president of basketball ops and Maury, who's been really outspoken He's a player's guy, players like him, and, of course, he loves players. And one of the biggest testaments to what he's done in Houston was how James spoke about him, James Harden. And James Harden is one of the most scrutinized players in the history of the NBA, and he spoke really highly of Maury, and Maury spoke really high, highly of him. So uh, I, I love that Philadelphia did this, and I think they're instilling a, a, a culture into the players in the team, but also they're establishing a brand, an identity. And for a team that lacked that, uh, that's tremendously important, for sure. I, I agree. And uh, before we before we t t talk forward, just a reminder to the viewers at home, 
Um, be sure to you know ask questions of us, leave comments. We, we're always happy and excited to engage with you guys. Um, be sure to give us a, a, a subscribe on Apple Podcasts to us. Leave a rating and a review. Uh, we always appreciate the, the that. And speaking of that, we do have American Tarmacker here. He asks, or she asks, uh, do you guys think Simmons could be traded now? And in is there a chance in hell of us getting Harden? Um, I think if one of the two are going to get traded, and I would have said this regardless, I think it would be Simmons first because I think he really? has value. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and – I think they'll give it a season to figure out how it works and to see if they can make that work together. But I think if, if, if they have to choose one there, it's probably going to be Simmons is the one to get moved. Um, and, you know, I think you could put a package together where like, let's say it's just not you know, DC isn't any closer to get, isn't any closer to winning um, than they were four or five years ago. And, and Bradley Beal getting tired of it. Maybe that looks like a, a you sit, you trade Simmons for Beal and some, there's some periphery action there as well. But Maybe that's the trade that you really shake things up with. Um, as for Harden, I mean, I guess as long as you have Daryl Morey, there's going to be a linkage there. But I, I don't think, I, I don't think you know, um, Tillman Fertitta would have been so open to like making a decision, like like Russell Westbrook's contract for the sake of James Harden, only to trade him next season. And I also just don't think that it makes sense to. I mean, it makes sense obviously because Harden's great, but it doesn't make sense to like mess up your timeline by bringing in a guy like James Harden, who, by the way, in the East, might not get you past the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I just don't know. Um, and then Rob Brow says the Sixers are back. I think with this decision, the Sixers and their management and their ownership paid really close attention to the fan base throughout the season, throughout this offseason, and they really – saw that they lost a pretty significant portion of their engagement and that they were on the verge of really just losing the fan base altogether. And I don't think that the, the cutting, you know, the, the salaries are cutting the, you know, the, making, making the pay cuts helped. I don't think trying to trying to build a new stadium helped either, but they, they made decisions that they had, they had to make to get the fan base back on board. And I think they've done, they've accomplished that goal. Brock, what do you think about the Simmons and then the Harden comment? Yeah. So let me start with the latter here. I think for Philadelphia, they most definitely listened to the fan base and they were concerned about fan engagement. And we talked about Philadelphia playing it really safe and making all of the smart hires. But here's another thing. There's nothing more Philadelphia can do, or the ownership of Philadelphia rather, that can make this team more valuable than winning a championship, right? So they're already looking towards hosting the All-Star game. They're looking towards getting a new stadium. They're one of the most marketable teams in the league. The only thing to drive the value up higher on this team would be winning a championship. So right now, I think what management's doing is bringing a lot of reputable guys onto this organization and saying, well, we're going to go all in for winning right now. Uh, to follow up with what you said about Simmons and Harden, here's where I stand. James Harden and Russell Westbrook are both getting $30 plus million for the next two years. Eric Gordon's making $18 plus million for the next three. Houston is going to have to make a trade but it's not going to be with Philadelphia because the only way you can trade for James Harden, in my opinion, is if you deal away either Joel Embiid or Ben, Ben Simmons. I don't think Maury has any intentions of trading either of them in the foreseeable future. And I think Maury's relationship with James Harden is encouraging with Ben Simmons on the Sixers roster. And I say that because Maury has gone all in to provide for James Harden throughout his entire career in Houston. He's attempted to go after Pau Gasol. He's attempted to go after Chris Bosh. He brought in Dwight Howard to make the PNR work. Clint Capella. I mean, if you make 77 trades since 2007, which, like I said, I believe the second most in the NBA, you're trying to commit to one player and build. You having some trouble over there? You, you a little gassy? I'm, I'm just kidding. Really. That wasn't gas. That was my I'm, seat. I'm I'm so anyway. <laughs> Maury is going to commit to this organization and I, I think he's confident in building around Ben Simmons. I don't see why he wouldn't. So I personally think if one player gets dealt, it would be Joel Embiid. But having said that, I don't think either are going to get dealt in the foreseeable future. I think I addressed the, the Harden thing already. 
like you said, Austin, the linkage between Maury and Harden is always going to be there because of their relationship and their time in Houston. Uh, but at the same time, you probably can't get Harden unless the package includes Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. Yeah, and I, I just think that Embiid is more untradeable, and you you won't get nearly a remotely similar return for 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 Embiid than you would for Ben. Maybe, maybe I, just think, I just think that 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 sort of Ben operates outside of the sphere of what Maury would envision for a franchise. Like he wanted those Houston teams to run and gun and shoot from the outside. I don't think Ben Simmons is going to give you that. Right, um, but at the same time, Maury's relationship he with analytics would okay. just that Ben Simmons is one of hey, the best players in the league. Listen, three, three assist to three point shots. There we go. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's it's certainly interesting. Um, Aaron XA says, "I like how we've got FO members, front office members that have opposing views, which will allow us to hopefully have a good balance." Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of what you don't want, though? <laughs> like, isn't that exactly what? They what the what the problem was before that they had too much balance. They needed some, a more dominant voice. I think now what they what they've done is they actually have like credibility, and that's uh, something they didn't have before. They have a, a a someone in the job title that's actually held a position of significance before. Yeah. There's like a, they yeah, they, they didn't just like they didn't just go take like a, like a G League, it's the yeah. the G League GM of the year and and and, and turn him into the. I uh, mean, if if you if you look at Maury's career outside of just basketball, I really don't think there's many managers better in all of sports right now in terms of what he's done for his players, his commitment to his players, and everything he's done outside. I mean, conventions. He's he's at a yearly convention and and. It's somewhere where a lot of coaches and really good basketball minds go. And I, I just think he's done a lot off the court to justify him being worth this contract. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, number one, I, I certainly think that you're, you're sniffing glue if you don't think, uh, if you think that Elton Brand's going to like walk around thinking that he's the, the, you know, the guy in power. It's obviously going to be. The, the the I think I would imagine a decision structure is gonna is gonna be Maury followed by uh Doc followed by Brand. Yeah, that 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 that's yeah. that's how I think the decision structure is gonna go. Like if you're really thinking about like a financial portfolio, those two would have the most dominant say and then Brand will have will, will obviously be involved and he'll be a powerful voice. But I think that the, most of the decisions are going to be streamlined through those two because, again, credibility. That's a that's a really good point. And I know Doc Rivers and Maury have a relationship that extends all the way back to their time in Boston. And also, apparently, Daryl Morey wanted to interview Doc Rivers for the Houston head coaching job. So now he gets to reunite with Doc Rivers in Philadelphia on the East Coast. For sure. Um Rob Brow asks, uh, "Do you got? Do you see any big roster moves via trade mm-hmm. are coming before the season begins?" Brock, I'll let you go first on that one. Yeah, I just don't think this is the roster you're going to see opening night. I think Daryl Morey is a guy that's trade happy, and like I said, he's committed to doing the best thing to uh, optimize the talent on his roster. So I really don't think Al Horford or Josh Richardson as your primary catch and shoot three point specialist is going to work. Um, I don't think Philadelphia is going to revert to doing small ball or changing their style of play at all. And I don't think Daryl Morey's relationship with analytics is the devil, uh, but I do think he's going to go out and make a couple of big roster moves. And one piece of Jason Blevins, one piece of advice that Blevins gave to everybody on Twitter was uh, don't fall in love with draft picks. And I think that's really good, really good advice. I wouldn't be shocked if Philadelphia deals away that 21st pick this year. He hasn't, he hasn't, actually used the first round pick in like 14 years, 14 mm-hmm. years. So I'll tell you this. I think we're going to see massive, massive roster overhaul uh, in the coming. And I think it's going to happen real quickly because if you look at the timeline of events, the players are now saying you want to start Martin Luther King day. And typically the players get what they want in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And so that means that you're probably going to be in training camp. I would say middle of December. Um, maybe inching towards like late December, maybe. Um, 
but that means that with if it's like middle we'll like December the training camp begins you you want to give your your free agents more than two weeks to get to the city and get prepared for training camp um and then that includes and then you have the draft as well and mm-hmm. typically the, the the there's more value in the unknown of a draft pick than there is in trading for a, a guy that's pre-selected for you teams like to have that 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 liberty to make their own trade if they trade up or trade down so um i i think we 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 there's a very strong possibility that we could see roster uh, uh turnover in the coming weeks quite rapidly and i if i had to guess i would certainly say it's going to be horford um it's going to be you know josh richardson i was kind of playing around with the trade with the trade machine and i i, I don't like doing it because I, it's, it's obviously not an accurate representation of what it's like to be a GM. It's like a, it's like a played down farcical version of it. Uh, and I was playing around with some trades. It wouldn't shock me if, cause Maury was so against, like he was not in favor of, 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 of trading away Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. Wouldn't shock me if you see like two or three first round picks plus a like Al Horford to Oklahoma city. Um, I love that. I love and they, that. And, and they add to their treasure trove of of first round picks in the coming in the coming years. It adds that ball handler that the Sixers need and the shot creator the Sixers need. But then I was thinking to myself, also, if you do that trade, you should have just kept Jimmy Butler to begin with. Oh, you the, the similar they're similar. Per- this again. <laughs> Can we shut the hell up about Jimmy Butler? Like, what? One day this is going to go away. I guess not yet. Oh, man. Um, I I just think that they're very similar players. And I think they have similar attitudes. And I I think that they will both clash with Ben. So I I, I don't know how I feel about, or how how a fan should feel about Chris Paul. I think it's a trade that. If you do get the opportunity to make, you make because it just it makes you so much better for, than what you are right now. Um, but I think I think they're going to work hard to get off the Horford, get off of uh, you know, get off the Horford contract. Maybe that includes Josh. Maybe Josh goes in a, goes in a second trade. Um, but I, I also think that if you in order to get rid of Al, you're gonna have to give up a first round pick, or you're gonna give up one of the guys like Shake and Matisse. And those shouldn't that that shouldn't deter you. You 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 have to get off of terrible contracts and then use that money that you get back to then progress your roster in other areas. Let's not forget the Sixers would have been a much better position, probably changing the way that thing that changing their current status right now. If they had used the Horford money to get like two or three role players, two or three elite role players. Listen, I don't disagree, but at this point it it doesn't even matter. Uh, no, it doesn't you, matter. You can't, you can't even dwell on that. And I think now with all of the optimism in the front office, I like the direction the organization's heading. I think they're establishing a brand and a culture, which is really important for a team that lacked that, like I alluded to earlier. And I'm going to disagree with your statement on Chris Paul compared to Jimmy Butler. I think Chris Paul, no matter what team he plays for, is going to compete. And I think he's he's in a different class than Jimmy oh, Butler. Yeah. Um, just the way he manipulates the game and his attention to detail – as a point guard and, and a, a ball handler, it's really unmatched. And Chris Paul had one of the greatest point guard primes in the NBA history, and yet his prime hasn't ended. Uh, so you could talk about this slippery slope as he's getting older. Uh, Chris Paul really doesn't age. Uh, physically, he might, but in terms of basketball, IQ and knowledge and what he brings to the court, he doesn't age. Uh, he's almost like a player's coach, uh, also one of the most outspoken guys in the league in terms of social justice and uh, speaking for players. So I think you have the opportunity to get Chris Paul. You get him at all costs. You give anything on your roster, not named Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to get Chris Paul. Uh, now, in terms of the other hirings Philadelphia's made today, because we haven't talked about them yet, uh, they 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 poach a guy from Indiana, they poach a guy from Los Angeles, and they just come up with this, I guess, monster squad of coaches now in Philadelphia. And Austin, how do you feel about that? Like, I think this is something that people should be excited about. I know people don't 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 probably know too much about assistant coaches, but I think Philadelphia really assembled a dream team of coaches. Now let me let me let me rephrase that. Let me not say dream team of coaches. Um, 
What's what's a better the last, the last, time, the, last time there was a dream team in Philly? It was like Namdi Asenwa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dante did, you, did you see that Namdi Asenwa is going to star in a movie? Is he? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Football um, didn't really work out towards the latter half of his career, so right it makes sense. So I'll answer your question before before we go back to some of the the, the comments and the mm-hmm. questions. Um, I think people tend to ver- tend to underrate and sort of overlook the value or the roles that assistant coaches have on with, with the team, such as people would kill Brett Brown for his schemes, but the people who come up with those schemes and sort of are the ones implementing and teaching those schemes are going to be um, like Udoka going to be um, the guy that left for, I forget, I forget what his name was. He was the guy that yelled out the shot clock on offense. Oh, I remember him. I, I, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, him, yeah. but I know Brian. Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, 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 like the the point point was that the, 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 the you typically have an offensive and a defensive coordinator, um, and then you have like the coach that sort of oversees it all. And so, you know, I I, I think the role that they play in implementing the, the correct schemes and teaching those schemes cannot be understated. And I think you have guys that have cultivated reputations. For as being you know, very solid uh, coordinators and like 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 Dave Yeager, like Sam Cassell. Mm-hmm. Now I don't I don't know the exact structure of how those roles look right now, but I think you have a, a who's who of of, of coaches, uh, which is which is a good thing to have. Another thing, let me interrupt about Dan Burke from Indiana is that players spoke really highly about Burke as a defensive coach. And as a coach with the X's and O's, um, he's usually the guy that leads film meetings and he breaks things down and looks for little nuances and pulls guys aside individually and works with them. So I think the accountability issue will be completely gone next season. Um, I think with Jaeger, with Rivers, with Maury, with Burke, even Sam Cassell, there's not going to be an accountability issue. These are highly reputable guys that are coming off of really reputable job positions. So I, I just think that accountability problem will be gone. For sure. Rob Brow says, I thought the league is looking at December 22nd to start. I actually heard from one agent I was talking to said that it was going to be MLK day. And that was something that I heard a couple weeks ago too. And I think the players are really pushing for that because of what's going on right now in this country. And that would be like, I guess a, a, a small statement and a big statement all at the same time. Like there's not a ton that you can, Pull from starting on on, on on Martin Luther King Day, but then again, that's a pretty like. If you're looking for a random date, that's a good day to choose. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I, I think I think looking at that, I also think that, that they're very concerned that if you start too early, you'll you will lose revenue because guys like LeBron just straight up won't be playing. Like that, I think that's a very legitimate concern. Um, so that's what I think about that. Uh, Javier F says real plus in this is that we have not only one of the best front office minds in the league, but brand will now have to answer to someone and run ideas by a savvy vet like Maury dark days of Al signings and Harris max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I well said it's interesting because I, I said on the uh, party on broad show, the Sixers went from being like one of the most like, dead energy teams to now being, I think as an objective like writer and reporter, there's not really a team that's more interesting than them right now in the end. Mm-hmm. Because you have a guy like Maury who is as crazy as they get in terms of, um, in, in terms of, uh, I saw a funny tweet. <laughs> it was someone, <laughs> it was someone who, <laughs> it was a Same quote, show. it was a quote, tweet of the of the Markel Fultz thing that says they like, watch how they switch sides and someone quote tweeted it saying Josh Harris today. <laughs> he did, man. Josh Harris. That boy did a complete 180. That's today. funny. I like that. That's funny. Getting back to the back to the question. Um I, I, I just can't think like Maury is out obviously out to prove something because he you know he 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 left Houston. You have Doc who's whose reputation is now at stake looking to prove something. You have these two Dramatic overpays. You have two stars, and you have an off season that's going to be rapid. 
So I, I really, I think it's, I think it's, a, they're a very interesting team now compared to where they were a month ago, two months ago. And the Jameer Nelson hire too. Yeah, we can't, we cannot sleep on that hire. That's a really good hire. Um, American Tar Macker says, uh, "Jimmy, we miss you. Come back." Don't want to some. Some people can miss Jimmy. Yeah, that's uh, my pride. Draft picks are a joke, and Ball is a joke. I don't like him at all. He shoots from his chest. That's Alonzo. Yeah, Alonzo on the feet to Embiid. Listen, listen. I would not be surprised. I think Lonzo would fit very well in a Daryl Morey system. Kick aheads uh, off of the outlet, uh, three point shots. He, you know, he, he was taking a lot of threes, high volume, good passer. I first of all, Ball's not a joke. He he yeah he, he shot like thirty eight percent from three this year mm-hmm. uh, on like eight attempts per game. So that's good percentage on volumes. Um, and I I, th- I think as a, as a really good fit for the system, it wouldn't shock me. If, if 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 they ended up uh, making that trade, especially because there was some rumor to it, um, CP3 is too old. Mike Sinclair says CP3 is too old to give up whatever possible for huge contract along with injury concerns. Yeah, I mean he's old, um, but at the same time, and I do see the injury concerns, but he's I'd rather have him as the old guy than have Al Horford. At least CP3 fits and when he's available is 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 tough to say the least. I mean, Houston took one of the most formidable NBA teams of all time. 7 games in a playoff series in the Golden State Warriors. And you could argue the year before if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, maybe Houston advances. But with Chris Paul, I mean, he's one of the most productive point guards in the game of basketball. I really don't see the the negative in trading for Chris Paul. If you have to trade anybody other than Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, of course. So I'd I'd be going all in for Chris Paul if I had the opportunity. Uh, just seeing what he did with OKC, the accountability he has in terms of holding other players, and also how productive he is. Even in the fourth quarter, OKC was one of the best teams in the league in terms of offensive and defensive rating and true shooting in the fourth. And, that's because you have a, a leader and a point guard out there like Chris Paul. I will say this. One thing would concern me about trading for Chris Paul. Like, yes, above all else, you're getting off the money. But you're also taking on money. And it's for a guy that is almost always battling injuries. So, I mean, at least Horford is can as, as, as bad as he was times last year. At least he could play. Like, he was physically available to play. Um, which I mean, I guess for better or for worse. Um, but like Chris Paul, you might literally be sitting on dead money for a portion of the season if he if he if he pulls a hammy, which is something he's been known to do. Mm-hmm. This is also true. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then Rob Brow says you will gain TV revenue having game on Christmas Day. You would, but in theory, you would. In a normal year, you would, but. Maybe not if LeBron's like, screw you guys. I'm I'm not playing. I have to nurse this body. Um, what do you think, Rob? Uh, <laughs> Brock. Yeah, I know the revenue and ratings were down for basketball this season with everything going on, but it really just depends on the players. Like you said, uh, the players usually get what they want in the NBA. I know I recently saw a report that some players weren't comfortable returning as early as December 22nd. So I really think it's something that remains to be seen, but. Nonetheless, I think if you could get a 72-game season in stadiums with maybe eventually limited capacity, you can create the the typical NBA environment that we're all accustomed to. Uh, I do want to say that in terms of like live production and uh, with television and and, and real-time TV, the NBA will never go back to the same. It'll never be the way it used to be, Uh, even in terms of how many people travel with the team, how the media covers, interviews after the games. That will probably never go back to the same, but I think that's for better. Uh, so this was a terrible situation with COVID and the cancellation of the season and the shutdown and everything. But uh, nonetheless, there are some positives to take from it. I wonder if you make a good point. I'm thinking about this. Um, I wonder if, like, if it doesn't go back to the way that it was, and you have beat reporters covering remotely. I wonder if that actually opens up more jobs in the industry 
because you don't have to pay for 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 travel and airfare for sending your reporters out on assignment, you know, uh, on the road. I, that just I, that just kind of a thought that crossed my head. I just wonder, but I I, I do agree with you. I think in some aspects it, it it'll, it'll we've seen the last of some of the NBA's old characteristics. I think some of the, there'll be some new new formatting that that'll be in place. Um, but I think ultimately it's going to be about how can we how can we how what, what does the timeline look like for getting back to normal in terms of a normal season? Um, and I think this season they they view it as more about like recuperating mm-hmm. and getting back to the road to normalcy, and then twenty twenty one twenty two is a, is the is where things are really back to normal. Um, and I actually emailed like I was I was asking Sixers PR what they were planning to do um, in terms of covering it because if if I end up taking over the beat for Jason, um, it would be pretty cool. Like I could work from Florida and cover the Sixers. That would be mm-hmm. that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean that that you know, like getting my tan on, getting my my, my mosa action in, you know, on weekends. <laughs> just <laughs> um, real quick, uh, Nadir Aga says the team is the same as last season. Why this buzz? Well, I think we explained why. Um, I, I just think that it's a situation where this team is just so dramatically different, and and things are like their mentality of of having this whole group group think. Uh, front office is now spiraled and become something completely different. And now it's, you have credible, well-respected executives running the show. And it's just a complete, it's like, like Brett Brown once said, paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like, uh, I like one of the previous comments compared to Brett Brown. It is a dream team of coaches. That, that was a better way to summarize all of these assistant coaching hires. Leave Brett Brown alone. It's not his fault. Well, Listen, how are you going to talk about Jimmy Butler three times in a podcast? We're not even going to mention the idiot that's won this team for the past seven years. You remember when, um, like, when Jimmy said, like, on Jimmy, on, on JJ Reddick's pod, like, someone was trying to, they asked, can you control him? I thought today, like, what if that was, like, a player? What if it wasn't a coach or someone in the front office? What if it was a player? Who do you think it would player, be? But I don't think a player, unless it would have been Joel and Ben, nobody would have had that influence on the front office, I don't think. I mean, who's coming to the front office and saying that with, with, with an influence? Boba Marjanovic? You, you're telling me you don't think, like, like Brett Brown or – or or Josh Harris is that out of touch with with how this works that they don't like, they wouldn't say that there's a way that you could say it to a player and not have it blow up in your face and to say like can you control him would not have been the way to do it but it wouldn't shock me if it was like a player that said it and I think I think you know who maybe but who who would who would have been on that roster so it, it, I mean I Rock, guess you can't rule Rock, out you know player. you 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 know you know me okay. You know what I'm thinking, um, I'm but I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say either, um, which probably isn't very fair to the viewer, but so be it. Um, real quick, we do take a quick break for our advertisers. Brock, do you think Daryl Morey likes beer? I would assume so. He, he, Who doesn't like beer? And I, I would assume that Daryl Morey is going to come to Philly. They win a championship, and he's going to probably win a shotgun of beer. And if he likes shotgunning beer. And he wants to increase his shotgunning time and before the championship, um, he might want to check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. Also, a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. For ten percent discount on all products, enter the code Trust the Cobra Ten, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. Um, Let's see here. Chris DeMeo21 says, did anyone give Elton Brand his props this offseason? Nope. Um, no. oh, okay. I don't think anybody gave Elton Brand his props, but I will say if you go back and watch our episodes, we really haven't slandered Elton Brand. We've, no. we've been pretty and I was never on board with slandering Elton Brand either. Right. I, was, I, I always thought things were functioning differently than what they appeared. Of course. Of course. Yeah. But I'll say this. I know how private equity investors work, and I know that this that, that, that this team is owned by private equity investors. And it wasn't Elton Brand calling the shots this offseason. It was it was someone above Elton Brand 
saying, now get out of the way. We're going to write the check. We're going to have the meeting. We're going to have the dinners and, and, and get this done. I mean, I'm sure Elton Brand has some play in the credibility and the, in, and in like establishing that relationship with and making that connection with, 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 with whoever they were bringing in. But you, I, I, I wouldn't believe for a second that Elton Brand was the one on the phones, like facilitating these things to, to come to fruition. It was, it was the ownership group locking in on people that they wanted and saying, what's it going to take? What this is a business we know. We 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 here's your check. What is it going to take to get this done? So that's that that's what I think it was. I give I give credit. I think everyone should give credit to Josh Harris for for this for this offseason thus far. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he's he's overperformed. I mean, they have not missed with any hirings this offseason. So absolutely, uh, Josh Harris gets some credit here. Yeah, um, Mike Sinclair says I'd much rather trade for a younger shooter than CP3. That way, Ben has the ball still, and we aren't stuck in the same situation once he inevitably gets hurt again. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's where I think you could see the Buddy Heel thing come into play. Um, and I, I think people are like very polarized, or people like, he's very polarizing amongst the fans because people are like, he can't defend. He he's this, he's that. He really can't create off the dribble, um, and so. I, you know, I I just think it's sort of short-sighted and kind of unfair to view him as such because I if you go back and watch film, he's actually a better team defender than than given credit for. And even with like even if there are defensive shortcomings, his coaching staff didn't make it any better because he would be like someone would light him up, they take him off the floor. And then the next guy get lit up by the same player. So it's it's not that like the individual is the problem necessarily. It's that the scheme is the problem, or the pieces don't understand how to rotate and help. That's the problem. Um, but and I think offensively, 21 point, 20 points a game on like a, a, a poorly built Sacramento team is a is an excellent shooter. Shot selection is sometimes a little bad, but um, but you know it's I, I, you, you take that because he fits that JJ role, and they need that more than anything, just to get Embiid back to a place where he feels happy and valued again. Brock, I said it earlier in the show, but Al Horford can't be one of your top three prim- primary catch and shoot three point shooters. So if if you can go out and get Buddy Hield, you go get him. If you could go out and get a Drew Holiday or a Chris Paul, you go get him. And I think Daryl Morey is the perfect guy to go do that. Uh, historically, he's gone all in to provide around his best players and. That's exactly what they're looking at right now. Uh, I, I don't think this is the roster you're going to see come opening day. And to get a guy like Buddy Heald would be crucial for Philadelphia. Uh, you've done a ton of breakdown on Buddy Heald, so you know about these defensive shortcomings. But offensively, he'd give you something that nobody on the Sixers can right now, and that's creating his own shot from beyond the arc. Uh, that's one of the Sixers' biggest needs. So I'd much rather trade for Buddy Heald than try to draft young and develop guy into a Buddy Heald role. Uh, because Buddy Heald already has has experience doing it. So um, I think some of the shortcomings are definitely a product of what was built around him in Sacramento. Uh, so I, I would be very confident in Buddy in Philadelphia with a player like Ben Simmons. I know there was a previous comment from Mike about taking the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands if you trade for Chris Paul. And yeah. I will touch on that for a minute, Austin, because that's something I'm really curious about. I, I don't foresee Doc Rivers playing. Ben Simmons at the four, or at least opening the season with him starting at the four. But at the same time, you talk about the Sixers' lack of a ball-handling guard that can kind of create his own shot and create for other people, and they don't have depth there either. So if Philadelphia does trade for a Chris Paul, Alonzo Ball, maybe even a Drew Holiday, what does that mean for Ben Simmons? Personally, I don't think it's that detrimental. Uh, Simmons is a guy who's been really top eight, I believe, in touches and all three of his professional seasons, um, regardless of what he does in the half court, a team's offense generally revolves around Ben Simmons facilitating. Uh, so whether the ball is in his hands or not, I, I don't think it'll be too detrimental for his game if you bring a guy like Chris Paul or, or Drew Holiday onto the roster. Sure. Yeah, No. I, I, I agree. Uh, DeClevo1 says CP3 is too risky, Horford plus first for – healed and and Bialica make it happen Maury I think that's a really good trade um and I think some people would sort of scoff at giving up a first round pick I would do that trade in a millisecond if that was offered to me um and you know it it like wouldn't shock me if maybe 
Sacramento was intrigued by that. I think you would have to do Horford plus first for Heald and no Bialitsa. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe you include like Shake in that deal, and then you get back Bialitsa or maybe even like a backup point guard um, in, in in Corey Joseph. But I think that's a, that's a perfectly viable deal. Mike Sinclair says CP3 would be great, but that's a huge gamble on his health. Imagine giving up Matisse for CP3 just to get hurt in playoffs, and we're stuck with another horrible contract minus the Matisse asset. People call Matisse this like unbelievable asset. Am I am, am I crazy? Am I, am I the only one who just doesn't like think that Matisse is this like unbelievable asset? He's a really good defender. He's a really he he he's potentially an all NBA level team defender. Mm-hmm. I still think he can get bullied if he doesn't beef up, and his offense is 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 a negative. So yeah, he gave you good moments. But he isn't this asset that you like regard too highly that you don't trade a terrible contract to get something in value for in return. I agree. I mean, he's definitely an asset because he's young and he has a high ceiling. But at the same time, if you're in a win now window, you have to seize that opportunity. And historically, Daryl Morey's been a guy to do that. So I think he would definitely trade Matisse if he had to. But at the same time, I think if you look at what's on Philadelphia's roster, He's probably among the top players that Daryl Moore would be hesitant to trade at first. Uh, I don't think Philadelphia is eager to move Matisse Thibel, but like you said, Austin, if you have to trade and get rid of a contract to bring a player on to help win now, you do that uh, because Matisse's ceiling is most definitely high defensively, but uh, you're, you're in a win-now mode. You don't know how many years of control you have with Ben and Joel or what their health will be. So um, you got to go win now. And, we saw what happened last time Philadelphia went for that. Uh, they didn't retain the guy that they traded all of their assets for. So I just hope that if they do go out and trade for a superstar or anybody of star caliber, they can retain them. But the thing that people are forgetting is that you're not going to be, if you trade for Chris Paul, you're going to have dead money probably, but you're not going to be able to bring all of these superstars on the roster and make the money work. Uh, you got to remember that Tobias has a, five-year max contract and Al Horford is making over $100 million. So if you want to go out and get a star, you're going to have to get rid of either one of them and an asset with it. Uh, so like Jason said, don't get too attached to young players. Don't get too attached to picks. Not with Yes, for sure. At least. For sure. Let me ask you this. Do you think Houston would do – or would you do, I should say. Okay. Would you do a first-round – Plus, like Josh Richardson, to or no? Would you do a second round plus Josh Richardson to Houston for Rocco? Absolutely, you would. Absolutely, hell yeah! Get Houston on the phone. I don't know why Houston would do that, but yeah, get Houston on the phone. Robert Covington is is one of the best help defenders in the NBA. A great on ball and perimeter defender, and offensively, if you can live with him shooting seven threes a game making five one night, not making any the next night. Covington's perfect for this team. Would you do Josh plus a first for Covington? What if Houston comes back and says, no, we want you 2020 first plus Josh Richardson and we'll give you Covington. So this season's 21st pick? Yeah. I wouldn't do that. That's I probably wouldn't do that because you're, you're going to have to use that pick elsewhere, I'd assume, to, to trade for a different player. Okay. Um, Nadir Aga, it's just a thought that I had. Um, Nadir Aga says, you think the FO front office and coach is going to make Ben to shoot? What, what, what of Ben refuses your so-called dream team going to trade Ben? No, I don't think you have to get, why does everyone want Ben Simmons to shoot the basketball? What? No one's going to step up to defend him because you're always going to take away the most dangerous option, which is going to be the rim in that case. You, and so even if he makes four in a row, you're still going to say, okay, you can keep shooting them. What is rich? We're going to pack the paint and defend the paint. I don't, it, it makes no sense to take low value shots if you're not comfortable taking them. So why not just stick to where, to where your value is and just actually make the pieces around him better and surround him with shooters. Like you did his rookie season when they were, when they were a fun ass team to watch. Um, if Ben refuses to shoot, Ben's a smart player if he refuses to shoot because you shouldn't be forcing a guy to, that isn't a, that really shouldn't be shooting isn't comfortable shooting the ball. 
You shouldn't be forcing him to shoot the ball. I'm starting to feel like a conspiracy theorist for liking Ben Simmons and seeing the value in Ben Simmons. I mean, let me put it in perspective. How many guys are better than Ben Simmons in transition? Overall, Ooh, I would has, say defense is passing, getting to the lamp or getting to the rim. Rather, there's probably less than five players better than Ben Simmons in transition. I agree. Yeah, less than I five. Think, I think you're you're probably thinking less than five, and I think there's probably less than five guys in the NBA that are better help or that are better, better team and individual defenders. Okay, so on defense, you just kind of proved my point. How many guys around the league? Can you look at the other teams one through five and say, we have a guy that can go out and defend any one of those five players and do it well, not just go out and defend them, do it well. I'm talking league leader in steals, defensive rating, uh, 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 surrendering a very low opponent field goal percentage. There's very few players in the league that can defend to Ben Simmons caliber. At the same time, one of the best players in transition. Now, we already said it three times this show. He assisted the most three-pointers made in the NBA last season. And who were the three-point shooters on the floor? Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford. Not really any of them shot over 36% from beyond the arc for more than a month at a time. So the fact that he's doing that offensively, he's as good as he is in transition. And defensively, he is one of the best players to have in the league. I don't understand why there's such an emphasis on Ben Simmons shooting the basketball. I mean, I do understand it. I get it because shooting the basketball is like the most glorified part of the game, but everything Ben Simmons does other than shoot the basketball is far above average. Right. And he's less than 25 years old. He's been in the league for three years professionally for three years. So I just don't understand what the Ben Simmons scrutiny is because he's one of the most valuable players in the league and he hasn't even hit his prime yet. And the conversation is is getting just like so like old and like it is annoying. Um, I also, if you really want to like, if you're really gonna like complain about how oh, but like the like guys like they're just gonna sag off of them. You could just get a shooter that you can run the DHO with. So that way, if they do that, you can just say, "Watch this! I'm gonna run a guy. I'm gonna run a DHO for a guy." Right. Exactly. What did the Sixers? What did the Sixers do with Ben against the Celtics? They ran JJ off of DHOs in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and basically were like, "Okay, if that's fine, we're going to get an open look out of this." Then, mm-hmm. and it, it forces them, to, it pulls them back out. So it's 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 there are solutions around Ben Simmons shooting the ball, and it's annoying that we have to devalue. Everyone wants to devalue him. It makes me so upset that a guy that's six ten that moves the way Ben Simmons does is hated uh, across fan bases and hated across the league because there's only so many talents that can do what Ben Simmons does. And I don't get how people don't see that. It just amazes me that people don't see the product that he puts on the floor. Sure, he doesn't shoot. But if a point guard is defending him, he's getting a bucket every time. So why does it matter? You just need eventually to incorporate the threat of shooting that jump shot so people may play you a little closer. And, and if they do, then he gets to the basket a little easier and it makes the life of his teammates a little easier. But for the time being, if Ben Simmons doesn't shoot, that's fine. What he needs to work on is hitting that free throw. Get, get it up to maybe 70%. And he did a really good job this season improving. Look around the league. LeBron James can't hit a free throw. Giannis can't hit a free throw. Yeah, I, I don't understand how LeBron's touching the free throw line is so off. Like, I think I get it. Like, I, honestly, that's one where I kind of excuse it. I think this is why, right? And, and I'm going to speak from experience here. Uh, you right, here we go. Anecdotes, right? I'm not LeBron. <laughs> I, I'm, listen, I'm 5'8", okay? When I play against my friends, it's one thing. Against real competition is different. But the way I get my baskets – is driving, bullying, bullying my friends, right? Because I'm too big, I'm too strong. They can't defend me. So I bully my friends. But I constantly, I have to work for every basket I get because I'm not shooting. So I constantly have to work. For LeBron, do you imagine how much energy he exerts throughout the basketball game? Running back and forth, up and down the court, every single offensive possession, he's busting his ass harder than nine other guys on the floor. So I think when he gets to the free throw line, he's so exhausted. He's just like, all right, I'm going to take this as a breather. Puts one up, front rims. All right, let me adjust. I'll make the second one. Make the second one. 
But when you do what LeBron James does, you don't need to hit a free throw. It doesn't matter. It's whatever. LeBron James is LeBron all I got. James, baby. LeBron James. Um, <laughs> uh, Declare the one says uh, too early to give Elton props when we have Horford and Tobias in the roster, and we still need shooters. I don't discredit Elton for having them on the roster because you don't know who was ultimately signing off on that decision, who was ultimately advocating for that to happen. What if it was Ned Cohen or Alex Rucker who was who were like, "Yo, we got to do this, we got to do that." What if it was them and Elton Brand sitting there like, "No, we shouldn't do this." That's the whole. That's the whole issue with the collaborative nature is you can't assign, you can't accurately assign blame to anyone, and like be fair because you don't know and, and they were group decisions. So I, that the jury ultimately is still out on everybody. Um, Richard said Thibel is still extremely raw and will, will take at least another two to three years to start being a win now option. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can win with him now. It's just that I think you can get more complete players on the floor Um that would help you win now. But I think if, there, if you have like a team that's fully loaded and is really well constructed, he's uh, he's like someone that you can plug in and that can, that can fill a role in limited minutes. And, you know, it, it, it works for you. So I, you know, I, 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 I tend to, I tend to agree. Uh, but I think that he is a guy that can help you win to some extent. Um, American Tar Macker Macker says um, Matisse got Matisse good defender that it not impressed at all. Um, I don't I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, Brock, do you know what's that? <laughs> yeah, what what are you asking me to look at the the previous I, comment or the, the Matisse, Matisse good defender that it. Not at, oh, he's saying Matisse is a good defender. That's it. Not impressed at all. Yeah, I, I think that's a little unfair because Matisse, in my in my mind, he made some advanced, heady defensive plays uh, in his rookie season. He just couldn't stay out of foul trouble, and then he couldn't really find his his like his rhythm on the court because they had to take him out so fast with foul trouble. I'm with you there. I, I think Matisse is very good defensively. Um... And I, I think uh, playing in that pick-and-roll defensive system with Brett Brown uh, may have hindered his defensive statistics a little bit. But offensively, I think he's got limited upside. Uh, I didn't see much in his first season offensively, so I hope he makes a leap in his second season if Philadelphia doesn't trade him. You just kind of question what that ceiling is offensively. Is it Robert Covington? Is it something higher than Robert Covington? Uh, this is all stuff that Matisse Dival is going to have to prove in the next two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Nadir Aga says, could we call Ben a superstar averaging 16 Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're going to call John Morant a superstar averaging 17, if you're going to call Chris Paul a superstar averaging 17. If you're going to call Magic Johnson a Hall of Famer, he averaged for his career only like two and a half to three more points per game for his career than Ben, exactly. than ben Simmons does. Like, like you can't – if you're going to make it about points, I mean, there's a lot of different arguments to be made here. Um because he has no balls. I don't yeah. know who that's referring to. I'd probably been, but the dude was uh, smashing Kendall Jenner for a little period of oh, time. Jesus Christ. Did you see Devin Booker in that picture? On oh, Twitter? yeah. Him and Tristan. They, they, they <laughs> have a Kardashian getaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The funniest that, – that I could not get over that post because it was like, look at me. <laughs> I'm your average American. And then, like, like, you're in – Freaking Cabo, or wherever the hell you are, on a private it's island. It's like, a funny, funny question to ask you, but Kendall. Okay, I'm gonna give you a starting five of players that have associated with Kendall oh, Jenner. Man. You tell me how many playoff wins they get, how, how many regular season wins they get, and they make it to playoffs. So, I think oh, it would man. be. I think Blake Griffin's there. I think Blake Griffin would have been rostered. I think he was with Kendall. Uh, ben Simmons was with Kendall. D-Book was with Kendall. If I'm not mistaken, Jordan Clarkson was with Kendall. And there's there's somebody else. There's definitely another player. Um, I'm drawing a blank right now. But how many how many wins does that team get in regular season? So it was Ben, Jordan ben, Clarkson. Ben, Clarkson, Blake. And there's there's definitely one more. I'm trying to find it. That's a pretty good team. <laughs> 
I would say they're probably a 49 to 50 win team. She dated Chandler Parsons. Wow. That's tough. Gonna, to you, look you, for Ben Simmons. Well, you, well, you gotta you gotta use the injury player exception on that or whatever it is. You stretch and yeah. wave provision on that. But, I mean, if any core that has Ben, Book, and Blake is probably gonna be a pretty good team. Yeah. Yeah. Brock, uh, any parting shots? None from me today. All right. Um my column is out for the for the last out media. A couple stories coming out. Uh, involving the Sixers, some more, sc- more scouting reports to be out. You can look out for that. You can follow him on Twitter at Landis Brock, or you can call him Brock Landis in real life. Uh, I am Austin Krell. Follow me on Twitter at NBA Krell. Make sure you you subscribe to the feed to Embiid on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Um, as always, thank you for engaging with us on the show. Thanks for tuning into the feed to Embiid. We'll be back soon for a new episode of the feed to Embiid. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.